It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. We're live, and we have a great show here for you today. In fact, it's going to be a little bit of a different show today. So, you know, in case this is the first time you're tuning in or you haven't been in here for a while, thank you for joining us. And really, the way this show is really designed is because I've had the incredible experience of being able to meet so many cool, wonderful, talented, and inspiring people in the world of talent, leadership, culture, whatever it may be in that kind of that, that realm. And um, this show is really designed so that instead of me being the only one who gets to hear all the cool things I have to say, uh, or you having to show up to some expensive show uh, and take off time from work, you can just tune in here every week and we'll have a cool conversation with somebody and allow you to learn from them, uh, be inspired by them, hear about the different things they're thinking about, what they might be reading, what they might be uh, focused on at work. Um, and see what you can take away for your own work. So my book, The Power of Company Culture, which came out here this year, is actually a lot about that. Um, and we talk about some of the greatest lessons and some of the coolest things that we have picked up on that people are doing uh, inside their great organizations from Southwest to Google, uh, on and on the list goes on. So um, Talent Talk is, uh, uh, as I said, here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And But most of you get us through iTunes or iHeartRadio. You listen to us there. Um, and uh, we love it when you do that because we actually know if you've done that, we actually get trackable uh, data points. So when you listen live, we have no idea how many are listening live. But we do know there's over 10,000 of you a day coming in and downloading a podcast or listening to us on iHeartRadio. And, wow, we just really appreciate the the feedback, the momentum, and everyone who's being a part of the show. Um, if you have questions, if you want to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, your comments, your guest suggestions, whatever it may be. Uh, on Twitter, you can use the hashtag Talent Talk. If you want to get real specific, add the at PeopleG2 on there. Um, that is my company and our uh, sponsors for this show. Uh, my producer, Mike, will try to feed me those questions, and we'll work them into the show. But as I mentioned, today we have a little bit of a different format. Um, the last minute here, one of our guests had to cancel, um, and she is literally on a plane right now. Her plane got diverted, and she's unable to uh, to get onto the show. So every once in a while, this is part of having the fun of having a live show. One of these things does happen, and sometimes what we'd like to do is slide in our another guest to maybe help us fill in some extra time, uh, go a little deeper with them. But our second guest is actually coming into us live from Australia and I think he might still be asleep or just waking up because it's quite early over there. So getting him in early just wasn't an option. So 
We thought today it might be a little bit interesting, or at least fun, uh, for us to talk a little bit about what's been going on with me with the book. My producer, uh, Paul, is going to actually kind of be our MC here and walk us through some questions and not also talk about some of the crazy adventures I just had in Guatemala. If you, Those of you that know that there was a, a, a volcano there uh, that went off, and I was there right next to it when it went off here recently. So, uh, But then after that, we'll go on a little commercial break. We'll bring in my second guest who will join me. That's uh, Brecken Jones. He's the group reward uh, change consultant for uh, Lend Lease. So, um, but let's go ahead and uh, get to the show. I'm Paul. I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to be the guest. You're going to be the, I guess, the, the host or the person asking the questions. So I'll let you take it. Very away. strange role. I sit here week after week, silently working behind the curtain. Who is that man behind the curtain over there? <laughs> Pay no attention. And this week, I get to step out into the public limelight and uh, and ask questions about. All this stuff going on. You know, one of the things that amazes me is for a guy who works remotely yourself, you seem to have more in-person adventures than anybody else <laughs> I know here. You travel the world. You go to different places. we got to start with that one. Guatemala. You went to a conference on remote work environments in one of the remote remotest places I could think of, uh, way out in Guatemala. Why? Where? What would you see? Well, you know, so why was I spent last year saying yes to everything? That was a sort of a goal of mine that someone asked me to do something, to be a part of something that I was going to say yes. And really got me into a lot of different things I didn't expect. It got me a lot of new opportunities. And then, you know, this year is still about saying yes, but I'm being a, a little bit uh, adding the yes and, and, and kind of scaling it into a, a way that's going to work for me best. But I just sort of said yes to everything. And so someone said, hey, you want to go to Guatemala and be our keynote speaker on remote work? I <laughs> said, course. sure, of course. let's do it. <laughs> um, and then it wasn't until a couple weeks before Guatemala that I really started doing my research and saying, well, what the heck is Guatemala? What's yeah. going on down there? And yeah. I went, to, out- I went to Belize myself once many, many years ago, which is right okay. next to Guatemala, right. and, and was amazed why more people don't go down there. But it... It's beautiful. I don't, I don't know where you were in Guatemala, but obviously a lot of it's jungle. I mean, there are some big cities there, but a lot of it's very jungle and very remote when you get down there. And kind of um, the Wild West. I mean, kind of lawless. Well, you know, so here's what I discovered. I discovered that Guatemala City is everything that they bill it to be, which is not a place you want to stick around. I mean, and it's certainly not a place you want to be at at night. Right. Um, it is beautiful. There's a lot of people there and a lot going on. And, you know, if you're in the right places, you know what you're doing. I think you could be just fine in Guatemala City. But you're not going out at night to bars and you're not going to go and do anything fun uh, at night because there is a high risk that something could happen to you. So we went out. We we were in Belize and we were in Belize City. We drove up into the highlands because we wanted to go to some of the Mayan ruins. And we just foolishly rented a Jeep and started going up there. And we got about halfway up there. And we had to cross into to call into uh, Guatemala to see the ruins. And somebody stopped us. Like, there was a police roadblock. So, where are you going? We're going up to see it. We're good tourists. Are you out of your mind? There's bandits all over the place. You don't go out and drive those areas. We, we, right. we don't police those roads. You're going to get jumped. Never occurred <laughs> to me. Yeah. Right. So we were out four or five hours away from Guatemala City to start. That's where the conference was out in this very remote place called uh, San Marcos La Laguna on this beautiful lake surrounded by three active volcanoes. <laughs> uh, 
two of which have not gone off in hundreds and hundreds of years. They're very dormant. But the other one, El Fuego, has had gone off 50 years ago. But, hey, that's 50 years ago. It's no way it's going to go off now, right? Yeah, well, right. It did. And um, so Which is why I think woke- they call it El Fuego. Doesn't that mean fire or something? Yes, or, yeah. yes. <laughs> so we woke up on the morning of El Fuego uh, erupting, and much to the tourist in us, we said, Wow, look, that's amazing. The lava's coming out, and it's smoking. <laughs> and we were far enough away that we were in no danger, but, of course, we weren't thinking that people actually farm and live right on the mountainside. Yeah, yeah. And it was those people who were killed and, and hurt and uh, their their farms and things. So within a couple hours, our excitement of seeing the lava certainly went to, to terror and, and feeling very horrible that, you know, there was people's lives were really impacted. Now, the way that the wind blew, it blew it towards Antigua and then on to Guatemala City. And so within a few more hours after that, every single person at the conference, you know, their phones were going off because all of our flights had been canceled. Oh, wow. Now, eventually those sort of came back online, but, you know, they had shut it down because the ash actually covered that part of the country. <laughs> we, we didn't, the wind was blowing the right way for us. We never saw any ash. We never had any problems with that during the conference. Didn't you have any ash insurance on, on your tickets? Didn't you take no, out ash insurance? I, oh, I right. did not take out, and usually most of those insurance don't cover natural <laughs> disasters or acts of God or whatever, right? So I think this would have been void anyways, but... But then after the conference moved on to Antigua, which was a beautiful city, some of the best coffee and chocolate I've ever had, the most incredible people. And it was, well, I think the best part, the most surprising part about Guatemala is it is a place for people who are very spiritual. I would say the modern day hippies. Hmm. Uh, there was v- the more vegan dishes on the menu at every really? venue you wow. went to than there was, you know, non-vegan. Um, and I didn't realize Guatemala was a... Sort of a hip a place yeah. for that yeah, uh, right. you know, type of person who wants to do yoga and and crystals and vegans and I mean all that stuff. So we jumped in and enjoyed all that and uh, it was pretty amazing. Now the, the best part of the story isn't even the volcano. Mm, there's more than the volcano. That's pretty the amazing. Best part of the story is what happened to me when I left Guatemala. Ah, okay. So when I left Guatemala, I made the joke on, on Facebook that Guatemala stole my heart, but it's trying to keep my soul. <laughs> and wow. what I mean by that was that our airplane landed to come and get us, and some ash went in the intake, and it broke. So we could not leave, and there was no more flights out that night, so they put us up in an air, uh, in a hotel. and So I got to spend one night in Guatemala City near the airport, and it was really nice. And so the next day I got on a different plane. I changed it to a different airline. I learned my lesson about showing up and to take the same plane the next day and expecting it to actually be fixed. <laughs> it rarely is. So if you can get on a completely different airplane, that's your best bet. And so we went to go take off and it started raining and then they couldn't get the communication, the, the route programmed in. And then they sent us back to the to the gate to um, get rid of 1,200 pounds of cargo because we were too heavy to take off. Oh, in the my goodness. And so three hours later, we finally take off. And I say, finally made it out. No problem, right? 50 minutes from Houston, which is where my uh, connection was, uh, because now I didn't take a direct flight, which I should have just done, but I ended up taking a connection. A man fainted right in front of me. He was what? walking down the aisle, reached me, and just decided to fall backwards oh and faint. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And I almost grabbed him, but being the good passenger I was, I had my seatbelt on, and so it stopped me from 
you know, getting out of my seat to, to grab him. And he hit his head harder than I've ever hit, seen anyone hit their head. Oh, wow. Um, and I thought, man, if, he do, if he's not dead of a heart attack or he hasn't just fainted for some reason, he's going to have a concussion. I mean, this is, you know, there was a lot going on. So I actually started giving pre-CPR. I'm checking vitals and I'm finding breath and <laughs> pulse and doing all this. And at, at some point, people who know what the heck they're doing took over for me. Uh, a nurse and a doctor were there and... Um, they realized I think he just had the flu and had fainted. So and you're seeing life. Like you're seeing life and death with volcanoes and passengers passing out. This is so. Uh, so we. This isn't a flight to Hawaii here, right? No, no. And so they almost divert the plane, and I'm actually talking the, having a conversation with the stewardess, saying, "Do we really want to divert to Corpus Christi? I mean, how much more time are we going to save by going there versus Houston?" And, so I, I, why why I'm involved in this conversation? Is <laughs> why they're listening me. to you? Why do you have a say in this? Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. Well, I think because I was down there, you know, checking the guy's breath and his pulse, I was suddenly a part of the the uh, the decision making here. Yeah, right, the decision making, which I'm sure the pilot was the only one making that decision, but I was a part of the conversation. So we get to Houston, they take him off the plane in a stretcher, and I, hopefully he's okay. I don't know. But then I now start the next part of my fiasco, which is I get to the luggage area. And, and to United's credit, they had new tickets for us. In fact, they booked me on two different flights in case I didn't make the first one. Wow. Um, they did a very good job there. But one thing United does not control is the luggage. Mm. And the luggage did not come out for 25 minutes. And people are now missing flights and missing flights and finally get our luggage. And I go running. Give, go through customs. I did like a, a rolling stop through customs, you know, to sort of show them my stuff and said, I got to go. Uh, and they waved at me and I gave my luggage to somebody and I went up to go find TSA pre-check, which in the George Bush airport was closed. I was surprised in the middle of the, you know, in the early evening. And so I went through security and there was a group of people in my way, a large family with who did not speak any English, and much to my dismay, I don't think had bathed in over a month. Um, and But they were trying to go through security, and they had a child, and there was a lot of commotion. Well, my things went through the x-ray machine, but were sitting on the other end for at least eight or nine minutes before I finally got to go through the x-ray machine, or my, you know, your own check. Right. And I picked up my stuff, and I start running, and a woman who was on a different flight but had been on the previous one with me, starts asking me questions like, I know what I'm doing. And I suddenly realized, where is my passport? Where mm. is my ticket? Mm. Can't find it. So I run back to the security area, and I say to the first person I can find, I can't find my pass. I don't know where it is. Well, this lovely TSA agent decided to give me a lecture on why I would lose my passport, mm -hmm. why I don't know where it is. It's a learning I, experience for you here. He wants to make sure you learn here. I want to make sure I learn. And so she begins to tell me I need to look through all the bins. And, of course, she's not helping, right? She's no. just standing lecturing me. And I'm looking through the bins, and I say, well, could it have fallen in the x-ray machine? And she says, well, I don't know. Guess you need to go find out. So I go over and ask the extra guy. I mean, this the most un now. While this is happening, I notice there's a bit of a ruckus with several other TSA agents, and one of those people from that family of people who were struggling to get through security. And I uh, didn't pay much attention to it because I was overly focused on my problem. And eventually, one of them came over. To so now, at this point, the TSA agents are going through my backpack. 
which I know it's not in my backpack, but she's now going through my backpack That's thinking right. I'm too stupid to know it's not in there. <laughs> and he come, one of the guys comes over to me and says, like, exasperated with me, what, what are you doing? And I said, I can't find my passport. It has my ticket in it. And he goes, oh, here. And he hands it to me. What? And I said, what? That's exactly what I said. And he said, well, we're not sure, but this guy picked it up. So one of the people who were waiting on the other side picked up my passport. Now, could it have been an accident, unintentional, or was it on purpose? This is a question I could not answer. I did not stick around to find out the facts. <laughs> All I know is that someone took my passport, and my gaze now turns to that TSA agent who was lecturing me for yes. being an idiot. Guess what? It had nothing to do with me or my lack of responsibility. It had to do with someone stealing or picking up my passport. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So all of this, just because you couldn't say no, so there's a lesson here. you got to start saying no more often. <laughs> oh, but, hey, I loved Guatemala, and I'd go back there in a heartbeat. But my travel getting home was difficult. So I run now, and I get on the train, and the train says gates D&E, &E, and I go, nope, I'm C. I step off. Someone says, no, 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 that would have taken you to see. Wait 90 more seconds for the next train. Get on that one. Get off the train, and guess what gate I am? I'm C2, and guess what gate I'm standing in front of? C600. <laughs> well, it like, but it was C14, and I begin running like Forrest Gump. And right. Picture any one of the different running sequences in that movie, and I'm running like no one's business. I'm realizing I should probably go to the gym more often. And <laughs> I start about C4, I start screaming, don't shut the gate. Because I can tell, I've looked at my watch, I can tell this is about the time they're going to shut the gate. Yeah, of and course. So they go and they, guy, now this this gentleman at the gate gives me the eye roll and the the sass of, I was, was I that guy sitting in the bar and didn't realize the flight was leaving? Of course. That wasn't me. I was trying to, you know, get through security. Everybody so. wants to lecture you. You must have some look about you here that just well, look like you're... They were all tired, I think. They all had a bad I think they had a bad day, but not as bad a day as I'd had. So I got on the plane, made it home, and of course, the coup de gras. When I got to LAX, they lost my luggage. Oh, oh man. So I got home and again in United's credit, they did have it at my front doorstep at six fifteen in the morning, long before I woke up or even needed any of those dirty clothes. Um, so it wasn't inconvenience too bad. So but next time somebody says, hey, you want to go to Abu Dhabi and speak at a convention? You're going to say, yes, I love it. Sure, it was great. It's a great story. <laughs> you don't have great stories if you don't get out of your house and go live. I think, you know, uh, coming home and then a day or two later, Anthony Bourdain passing away was a big hit me pretty hard, especially after the adventure I had had. And yeah. I think his, his take on getting out there and being a little bit uncomfortable and meeting new people and having new experiences. That was his whole mantra, it. yeah. I, I felt That's just it. as badly. I, I felt shook up by it because I thought he was kind of one of the last cool guys, great heroes left on the air, and obviously he was covering up a lot of pain here along the way. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe we all hope, we think we all knew given his past, the man was going to die early. I don't think you do that much drugs and drink no. that much alcohol and eat that much food. I don't think you could do all that gluttony without yeah. dying early. He, he freely talked about what a, that he shouldn't have made it this far here. And, exactly. and obviously had a lot of demons going on and he, you know, divorces and other things. So he was making a lot of these trips alone. And I guess that added to his uh, feeling of loneliness and, and helplessness, yeah, and he had hopelessness. He relationship with the, the, the Italian actress now. and But I, I think we were all just a bit 
shocked and surprised that he would choose uh, to take his life at this point. Um, with no other, we don't understand any of the other factors. But I think as someone who loves travel, who, who, you know, after telling you that experience, it's sort of it's fun. It's it's fun to tell you about the craziness that happened, right? And I yeah. think that's what ties me to someone like you know what struck me too the one time i only went to belize once it was not nearly as as wild as the trip you just took but in terms of travel problems but we did have one and on the way back a there are only two flights out of belize city and they both leave at the same time and then you don't make it come back the next day there aren't flights throughout the day throughout the evening that's like the flight and they both leave at the same time so we um, were standing behind a woman, typical ugly American, starts yelling at the counter guy about this and that, and don't you know who I am, and you dumb people. And the guy takes a quiet look, closes the book, and walks back into the thing, and closes the door. And we're all standing there, five, ten minutes go by, the plane's, you know, nobody else is boarding, what's going on, it's going to leave. Finally, somebody says, where is he going? He said, oh, he's gone. You, you ticked him off. He's gone. <laughs> He's, it, it's over. And then the lady starts really screaming. She says, oh, no, there's nothing to do. Come back tomorrow. That's it. And so we quickly wow. shifted lines and got swapped our tickets and got on the other plane and similarly flew to Houston. But, I mean, that's it. This is their country, not ours. You know, And it runs by different rules. And if you want to be difficult about it, we'll make it real difficult for you here. And I think those people, there is a time and place to be assertive. At times, if people are trying to screw you or they're trying to get away with something, I think, you know, having that uh, toughness that us Americans can have is certainly a virtue. But in any other circumstance, giving people understanding and compassion and, and finding a way to laugh at the situation at times is usually the recipe to have the other person who has the power to help you, to really help you. And I've, I've learned that lesson uh, many, many, many times over that just just being patient with them and and even even empathizing. I mean, I even said, "Geez, to the guy who changed my ticket, man, I don't envy you. You got 50 people to have to reschedule." And he said, "Yeah, I know. I, this is going to be a long night. I was supposed to be home with my kid, and I'm going to be late." I mean, just that that moment, right? Right. And I didn't get. I, he didn't. He didn't do anything for me. I didn't get anything out of it. It was a human moment, and I think that's what people forget to have. And to recognize that it doesn't work the same way it does. Like you said, don't expect the plane to be fixed the next day. Everything doesn't have the same timetable that it does here. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It just doesn't. Fun- you may not like it. You may not want it. Then don't go there. But it's that's the way the world works in other places here. Absolutely. Well, uh, fascinating stuff. Your last word was the conference. Any good? Conference was fantastic. I really enjoyed. Meeting so many digital nomads. I mean, these people who do not have a home, who spend their their life on the road doing the work, seeing the world, and just sort of picking a place to be for a while. I mean, it was a lot of people because of the conference who were just in Antigua indefinitely and enjoying that city and slowly, right? Because when I go to enjoy somewhere, I'm I'm like a the Tasmanian devil. I mean, I'm getting to every museum, going to every place, to every cool bar, every cool place to eat. I, I gotta get it all done in ten days, or I'm gonna explode. And they just show up and they hang out, and they have time to look, and they have time to sip their coffee. And I certainly meeting them and understanding how they live and how they do their work was really fascinating. And uh, conference was great, and I hope uh, hopefully they'll have me come back again at some point. Well, all right. Well, let's see if we can get your other guest on here from another part of the world, and we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this word. 
Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Well, I'm going to turn it back over to Chris with his guest from Australia. First, we're talking about Guatemala in the first half. Now you're going to talk about Australia. This is amazing. Well, welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. If you missed the first half of the show, well, didn't miss a whole lot. It was just me ranting about my, or not ranting, having a good time talking about all my adventures in Guatemala. But love to have you check us out on iTunes or iHeartRadio. That's where we'll publish this show. We have our past shows for many, many years. But uh, my next guest will be uh, Brecken Jones, Group Reward Change Consultant at Lend Lease. Uh, Brecken has had a career working with organizations on their culture, engagement, and developing strategic ideas for maximizing their engagement potential. So as a reminder, if you want to be involved in the conversation, whether it's during the live show or after the fact, please don't forget to tweet us. You can send them to at PeopleG2. Most importantly, use that hashtag, Talent Talk, all one word, and we will certainly uh, keep the conversation going. But Brecken, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate you getting up so early in the morning for us. I know it's quite early there. <laughs> Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're currently doing over there at uh, Lendley's? Sure, Chris. Well, my career has been uh, over the past 20 years working for some big multinationals, uh, companies like Unilever and American Express, uh, doing a variety of different HR roles, both global and domestic, uh, and always specialising in performance and reward. And last year, I set up my own consulting practice to take some stock in a couple of cool Australian startups that deliver HR services, but also to do this consulting assignment that uh, that you mentioned at Lend-Lease. And uh, for those that don't know, Lend-Lease is Australia's largest global property construction and sustainable development company. And what they asked me to do was help them to demolish and then rebuild their performance and reward processes. Um, and in doing so, enable thousands of managers to have, I guess you'd say, better conversations about pay and about performance with uh, with our 15,000 employees. Yeah, and that's fascinating. And, uh, you know, I looked at, when I was doing the research for my book, you know, different types of recognition programs. Out, and there's really some, there's ones that I prefer, which are uh, sort of fit into one model. And there's certainly other ones where you're directly tying recognition and all of that around whether it's some sort of a monetary um, reward or a physical product or a service or things like that. But mm-hmm. lots of companies that have great examples of the different types of programs that work really well for them. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do the things that you do in your work with reward transformation and performance management ultimately end up helping companies to attract top talent and engage and motivate their high performers? Yeah, well, my background, Chris, is in sports psychology. So mental skills training, physical skills training for athletes. And that's all about how you help 
athletes on the field or uh, on the court to achieve peak performance, be that mentally or or physically, as I say. And um, in the workplace, the same principles apply. So, you know, what motivates great performance in uh, in an executive or someone in a factory or someone in a mine? Um, these are very, very similar things to what motivate athletes to perform. So think about corporate athletes in a way. Um, and how you reward and recognise the great achievements that those folks have. Those are the types of things that I'm thinking about on a daily basis with the work that I do. And in the HR disciplines of performance and reward, having these types of roles, that allows me to be the, the custodian of these different strategies and, um, and the programs that shape the employee value equation. And, and it's given me the great privilege of being able to build some cultures where people, you know, they really want to come and they want to work. They like the brand, um, they want to stay, and ultimately they thrive in these types of cultures and environments. Well, sort of when you talk about this combination of performance management and, and, and using rewards and um, even then, it, then with kind of that mix of the sports psychology, it gets almost into that idea of well-being, right? And, and so mm-hmm. how important do you think that is, is well-being and, and does it matter for work? I mean, is that something that companies uh, should be thinking about to make their uh, people better or is that ultimately on each employee's uh, plate to take care of? Yeah, I think it definitely matters. And in my career, I've had roles that have been only about well-being and um, global well-being strategies and driving well-being programs. Um, It's a complicated area, I guess. Um, And it is a mix of individual um, nuance and and also uh, you know, company and population health strategies. But if you think about it this way, we spend more than a third of our lives at work or working. Uh, and in this day and age with work-life integration rather than work-life balance, we're probably spending even more than that. And if you're under 40, there's a really good chance that you're going to live to be 100 or more. So your lifespan is good, but what's more important is your health span and how healthy and well you are and how well you're going to be in that 100-year life that uh, you're probably going to live. So in that time, you don't just want to be surviving, you want to be thriving. And and this concept of thriving is really at the heart of well-being, whether it's for you as an individual or for your company and the culture and the environment in which you find yourself when you're at work. Then and how would you define, and maybe you could kind of walk us through, what does a thriving workplace look like? Yeah, I'd describe it as an environment that doesn't just exist to enable people to do jobs or to do work, but it's one that enables um, great work and it's one that enhances your individual health and well-being and it's a place where people can flourish and reach their potential. Um, and if you take, well, let's take physical environment. So the lend building that I work in here in Sydney, it's a six-star, platinum-rated, well-certified building, which is great. It's a it's an awesome space in which to be. But it's more about the activities that happen within that building, um, and the things that you you find within that building. So there's a couple of really cool nuances. There's over ten thousand plants inside that building. There's huge oak tables on every floors for people to come together and and do team and project work. Um, there's a real connection to country. That's a term that we use in Australia. Um, which recognises our Indigenous people and the original custodians on the land that the buildings have been built. And Lendlease actually designed the whole precinct that the building is in. It used to be a a derelict wasteland, an old shipping yard, and it's been uh, reinvigorated and 
created this community where all of the tenants in all of the buildings, not just my one, come and congregate and can um, can collaborate and, and thrive. And to me, that's that's the type of environment that I want to be in and that's the kind of environment where I think um, we get the most out of people. So when companies are looking to, you know, have this kind of a workplace and they want to focus on well-being, uh, you know, certainly we think about uh, they might have some exercise, something physical involved in that type of a mm-hmm. solution. They might, you know, I'm thinking about uh, companies that do, you know, they, how many steps can you take in a particular time frame or a certain amount of weight they might lose or they might bring in massages or do meditation. There's all sorts of things, but those are all physical type things. What is it companies are tend to forget about uh, as it relates to wellness and, and, and well-being that might be really important? Yeah, Chris, the choice of words there is interesting as well. Wellness and well-being, sometimes they're used interchangeably. I actually think there's a difference between the two. Um, and if a company has a strategy and a program, you're right, the chances are it's, it's a physical wellness program. Um, and that implies that it's about reducing existing illness or maybe preventing physical ill health, obesity or injury or something like that. You know, th- these programs are about bananas and running shoes, as I like to describe it. Um, but if you've got something that stretches to mental health enhancement, um, and not just, you know, what a lot of companies do, which is reacting to mental ill health or stress by having an employee assistance program or, um, you know, a plan for crisis intervention. Now, thinking more about preventative activities and then getting even more holistic um, and thinking about a wider variety of drivers of well-being in the workplace you got things that are often overlooked like pay how we pay people our mix of pay whether we're paying people fairly for the jobs that they do regardless of their differences like gender or age or whatever that's a driver of well-being so is recognition like you mentioned before so is enhancing financial literacy or having natural light in your in your office or in your factory um, creating a sense of belonging trusting relationships all of these things even that concept i mentioned before in australia the connection to country and, and understanding your time and your place like these are difficult things for people to get their head around and there's a variety of different drivers there of well-being and it's important to try and consider as many of those as possible to have a, a really good program, I think. So what are some of the maybe cultural nuances and sur- surrounding the global workplace, um, you know, for well-being programs? And what can we learn from, you've brought up this, this idea of connection to country now a couple of times with you know, kind of indigenous philosophy of well-being uh, to really, you know, inform our workplace strategies. Yeah. Well, I've had the good fortune of travelling all around the world to many, many countries and uh, launching different HR programs in those different countries. And I I really do respect and admire um, some of these Indigenous philosophies around wellbeing in particular. And for Indigenous Australian people, talk about being connected to your time and to your place and to each other. That's what we mean by a connection to country here. It's a sense of community. A sense of belonging and it recognises that the actions that you take now, the decisions that you make today, they have long-reaching ramifications sometimes. So, you know, they can affect people seven generations in the future. 
Um, and also by looking back seven generations, you can learn from our heritage and what people have done in the past and choose to either do the same thing or do things differently. So um, it's, it's an interesting concept. And if I think about when I was over in the UK, uh, I lived there for 10 years and I launched a program over in the Nordics and uh, it was a wellbeing program. And the idea at the time was to launch a, a very – Western and a very U.S. well-being program, which was about uh, you know, physical health, into four countries in the Nordics, Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Finland. And I learnt very, very quickly that there are uh, huge differences between countries that you think might be very, very similar. And so that really taught me that what well-being means in one place can be very, very different from what it might mean in another country. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even inside of a country, right, you can have these uh, po pockets. Um, yeah. And I guess it depends on the size of the country, but I think in my own country, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we could agree on uh, any any one one part of that. But um, mm -hmm. I wonder was, what the difference between East Coast well-being and West Coast well-being is. Exactly. I mean, they're very different. And then, and then of course, very different for what's the middle of the country. Correct. Uh, yeah. Which has its there's about the three biggest buckets. I know there's a bit more, but those are the three biggest I think that people might be familiar with. Um, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, if you think technology might be able to be an answer or enable us to deal with some of our uh, kind of mental health prevention or mental health strategies. Um, certainly, there's been a lot in the news lately with Anthony Bourdain uh, passing away. Uh, in Spain, and there's been a lot there with some very notable people, um, and certainly we're dealing with a crisis in our own country with how do we deal with mental health and and gun violence and everything else. So, you know, do do you see some hope there? Is there a play for us to 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 look at how we might manage this better, or do we still have a lot lot more to do? Oh, I think there's definitely hope, Chris. There's always hope to do things better in this space, particularly when we are at a point globally where we are, where mental ill health is so prevalent in society. Um, you know, wellbeing is a very personal thing, as we talked about before. In the workplace, we're focused on population health. And technology allows you to get that personal touch at scale, um, sometimes without that human element, which can be very costly uh, in, in the workplace. But I'm a board advisor for a great startup, and uh, I want your listeners to grab a pen and write this down, uprise.co, or if you're more techie, you can say, hey, Alexa, tell me about uprise.co. Uh, uprise is a preventative mental health app for the workplace, and what it does is it seeks out mental ill health and it triages employees into some really engaging digital wellbeing programs. Um, and if it finds someone who needs more help, uh, a video or phone coaching program can kick in to help those individuals to talk through and work through their challenges. Um, and if you've got an EAP in your workplace, it's probably reacting to distress. It's maybe getting 3% usage if you're lucky. Uh, but when you add Uprise into the mix as a technology for mental health enhancement, that EAP usage jumps up to 16%. And Uprise itself is actually engaging over 70% of the workforce in the clients where they're uh, running these programs. So they've just launched in Asia, part of the expansion, and um, have been going in the US for a few months now. Len Least, where I'm doing this assignment, are using 
uprise all around the world and seeing some really, really great results. So I think that's just one of many different technologies that are starting to emerge that companies can uh, can latch onto and really try and get some scale in their mental health programs. Well, all of this really feels like, you know, um, as leaders, I think we want our, our, our people and, and those involved in making our companies a success. We want them to be engaged. We certainly want them to be productive, both for the company and for themselves. So, you know, in a nutshell, what can is this what we need to do to really drive more of that? Or are there other factors, too, in this equation that you're seeing that really help us uh, ensure that engagement and productivity are, are hitting uh, where, they, where they should be hitting? Uh, I think there's a variety of different things. And I think the things that we've spoken about so far would be good places to start if a company doesn't have anything. I think it's probably important to remember that concepts like engagement and well-being and productivity, these are all outcomes. They're outcomes of different programs and different policies and different processes and practices. And it's important to have a strategy or at least a a target or a thesis about what you're trying to achieve um, and including employees in, in the mix there and asking people what they want from these types of programs. I think those are the sorts of things that you want to think about conceptually if you're going to go down this route of trying to enhance or optimise engagement. It's probably a better way to describe it. Sure, sure. Well, some of the things we've been asking our guests this uh, this year so far, because we're almost midway through the year here, I guess. So, you know, is there an app or a gadget or something that you've added to your own uh, work uh, maybe this year that's been helping you or uh, certainly something different that people might want to check out uh, maybe you're doing this year versus last year? Yeah, I think different. I would say I'm doing a lot more analog stuff and less apps and less digital things. I mm. think uh, in previous roles I've been uh, too... I've been a bit of a slave to the iPhone and uh, to always being on call. So I'm trying to use a pencil and a notebook now more than I have in the past and uh, trying to get out there into into nature and into the country and do a bit of uh, foraging for food, these sorts of things. That, that's more the direction that I'm going. I'm trying to go more analog than digital this year. Yeah, and that's really great. I mean, it's amazing when you get disconnected and you have that time and there's some some research that writing things out has a huge benefit mm -hmm. as opposed to typing uh, them out um, yep. and certainly uh, I imagine that for forcing for your own food may have some pr primal uh, enjoyment as well so <laughs> yeah I just have to watch out for the types of weeds and mushrooms that I go to pick because I know some of them can kill you in Australia well, I'm, I mean, you mentioned Australia. I wasn't thinking weeds and mushrooms. I was thinking there could be some other things out there that might want to kill you. So, <laughs> Yeah, not the kind of ones that you guys are probably thinking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what about books? Is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out? Yeah, well, other than the three children's books that I have to read each night to my young kids before I put them <laughs> to bed, there's a, there's a couple. So um, reading a book at the moment called The Rebel Playbook by Deborah Corey and Glenn Elliott. Um, that has a whole bunch of great case studies in it of employers all around the world who have done really innovative things to drive employee engagement. Um, and then I'm actually going to a book launch in a couple of weeks for a book that I'm yet to read, but I've got it here on my desk ready to go when I get a minute. It's called The Mind of the Leader. And it's by a, a fellow that I've known for a long time, Rasmus Hugard, who's uh, 
He's from Scandinavia and uh, he's an expert on the psychology of leadership and focus and mindfulness and uh, looking forward to reading his book and going to his book launch in a couple of weeks' time here in Sydney. Well, you've mentioned a lot of really fascinating things today. We've kind of run the gamut through different types of things that companies and leaders might be thinking about to engage and, and keep their employees happy and healthy. Here's a summary. You know, if someone was maybe only half paying attention to our conversation today and they remembered one thing, what's the one thing you hope they might take away with them today? Well, the one thing I hope they've written down is uprise.co because I reckon that's a good place to go and check out. But look, I would say look around and find some of the non-traditional things that you can build into your uh, work environments and and, uh, initiatives that define your company culture. And don't just do what you've always done or what everybody else is doing. I think if you've got the great privilege of being in a role where your you know your job's about shaping a company culture do it in a way that allows people to thrive um, and I, I think when we talk about well-being all these other hr processes and, and activities that i'm responsible for i keep having these conversations about simplifying you know let's make it simple let's make this as simple as possible but with well-being you want it to be complex you want it to be varied you want it to be messy and the reason why is because if you have a look in nature all those places where we have the most diversity where the amazon rainforest or the great barrier reef here in australia these are places where living things tend to flourish so i think that's what we want out of our well-being programs make them messy and complex yeah yeah well how can people get a hold of you or learn more about what you're doing over at lendlease and everything else what's the best way for people to find out more well, the good thing about having a unique first name like mine, when you search Brecken on LinkedIn or Twitter or Google, I'm usually the only one that comes up, which is good <laughs> for me. So if your listeners, uh, you know, if they want help building out great cultures or rewarding people for doing great work, then search for me and, uh, and get in touch. Happy to have a conversation. For any of you that are uh, named challenged, Brecken is B-R-E-C-K-O-N. And, of course, last name Jones. I'm sure you can figure out how to type that in. But, uh, Brecken, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and getting up so early uh, and bringing all your great insights uh, here to Talent Talk. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on all that you're doing. And thank Mm -hmm. you to everyone who turned into the show. Hopefully you gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next week, my guests will include Doug Harris, the CEO of Kaleidoscope Group, and David Zinger, the CEO of David Singer Associates. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 